You are now listening to Asking for a Friend with Talk Doc, sharing insights through real, honest, and practical ways to improve your communication and relationships. Featuring your hosts, Dr. Pamela Kreiser, Meredith Edwards Nagel, and Taylor Polendo. It's difficult. You know, that moment when you're mid sentence and you realize you're over explaining, over justifying, or your speaking turn is just too long? We've all done it. It feels painful in the moment. And it's especially tricky because mismanaged messages are difficult to repair. Once you get into it, it's hard to talk your way out of it. And it might just create a bigger mess. When I was a kid, I used to complete art projects after school. And I would start with a simple drawing. But then I would overthink it and compare it to what the other kids were doing. I would continue to add color and figures. And it would become a bigger and bigger mess. More paint never equaled higher quality, but I did it anyway. I wanted to have art that looked as good as the other kids, but in comparing, I would add so much to my projects that they would become completely unrecognizable. In some ways, I think speaking too much is like my childhood art projects. You start with a good idea, but then you find yourself over-explaining, justifying, adding qualifiers and modifiers, so much so that the original message becomes completely unclear and it can leave you with regret. Are you someone who finds yourself in moments of over-explaining? Have you struggled with finding economical ways to state your ideas without adding too much or too little? Have you felt like you've had to rescue that already too long message that you've just delivered? In the workplace, these moments can be especially difficult to manage. As we continue our series called The Dance of Visibility, our focus today is about those moments where we speak up and say too much and later have regret. The dance is challenging, especially for women, trying to be visible enough to get positive results, but sometimes regretting interactions that don't work out like you and I wanted. Recently, I read a story by Havrileski who recounted this experience. Quote, a few months ago, I asked my boss for a raise. Instead of just letting the amount hang there in the air without apology, I added unnecessary parentheticals like, unless that sounds like too much. I added superfluous footnotes full of second-guessing and self-deprecation. And even as my boss grew quiet and all my unnecessary words piled up around us, leaving very little room for either of us to breathe, let alone talk, I found myself throwing even less good words after bad ones. The whole conversation started to feel like an extended out-of-body experience. And then I heard myself saying, I just don't want to be paid so high that someone will look at that amount I am making a year from now and say, Jesus, why are we paying this idiot so much? It was as if I'd asked my boss for less money, unquote. Situations like this one are challenging to say the least. What started out to be a clear message quickly became complicated with contradictory retractions. The reality is we often see women engage in this regretful communication behavior more often than men. But why? Is it a lack of confidence? A worry about negative perception? A worry you don't actually have a seat at the table? Well, let's dig into the mechanics of where communication like this can go wrong. Inside the problem of over-explaining, there are many factors that can reduce our effectiveness. Numerous studies have documented that women use significantly more hedges than men. What's a hedge? Well, hedges are used when a speaker doesn't want to commit to a bold claim. It sounds like, I think, or probably, 
or apparently. When hedges appear over and over in conversation, they cast doubt on the message. Using hedges takes the steam out of what we're trying to say. Another way we dilute messages is by using hesitations. Surya Wanshi studied conversational breakdowns and explains that, quote, hesitation is the slowing of speech because of a kind of uncertainty in the mind of the speaker. It often disrupts the flow of the utterance in a relatively gross and easily observable manner, unquote. He explains that there are four types of hesitations. Repeating, false starts, filled pauses, and unfilled pauses. And all of these signal indecision and telegraph to the receiver a feeling of uncertainty and less confidence. Besides hedges and hesitations, sometimes speakers retract their initial messages, so much so that they end up apologizing. In their research, Schumann and Ross found that women apologize more than men. Quote, this finding suggests that men apologize less frequently than women because they have a higher threshold for what constitutes offensive behavior, unquote. Their research suggests that men believe there's less to apologize for. Think about it. Do you know someone who tends to let sorry fly out of their mouth too frequently? For some people, apologizing has become a habit that harms our interaction. In Psychology Today, Dr. Lerner told this story, quote, I have a friend in California who apologizes so much I want to kick her under the table. The last time we gathered in a restaurant with several other friends, she offered five apologies before our waiter brought the appetizers. Oh, I'm sorry. Did you want to sit by the window? Oh, I interrupted you. I'm sorry. Please go ahead. Oh, is this your menu? I'm so sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Were you just about to order? Unquote. Collectively, over-explaining, using hedges and hesitations, and accidentally apologizing confuses our listeners. These misfires replace what was once a clear message with ambiguity and uncertainty. So what are the strategies to combat this? The first strategy is to collect data about yourself. Start to document the times where you or those around you sabotage their own messages. Identify the situations and topics where this occurs. Look for underlying commonalities. Does this behavior happen more often when intimidation occurs? Or when you're unprepared? Or when you're feeling vulnerable? The second strategy is to do more planning when faced with important conversations. Plan your messages and execute your messages more carefully instead of doing cleanup when they go awry. Give yourself permission to be bold. The third strategy is to help others when you see them sabotage their own messages. Instead of allowing or even requiring long explanations, help others refocus their messages. This is especially true for individuals in powerful positions. Work to create atmospheres where individuals don't feel they need to over-explain or apologize. Okay, the dance. The dance. Well, the dance of visibility for sure. And now we have, you've said too much and regret it. It so hit me when you talked about that feeling mid-sentence and you just, and then you try to save it like the over-explaining and then just becomes a bigger mess. Yeah. Those exact feelings I have felt inside me like, oh, this is happening right now, Meredith. Oh, try to save it. Try to save it. And then you're just like, oh God, it's getting worse. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. You said you start with someone starts with a good idea and then starts to over-explain because they're not either confident in their message or whatnot. And you said there's qualifiers and modifiers. Mm -hmm. 
can we get into a little bit of a quali- the, for dummies for me on the, that, please? <laughs> so I qualify it, meaning I try to tell you how to think about it, qualify how you're hearing it. So I'm kind of trying to outsmart what I think you might be thinking. So I'll try to qualify it a certain way. And then I also might try to simply modify it or change it because I think maybe you didn't like what I said. Mm. And here's where it gets to be this craziness. And we've all kind of been there where we say a message and we modify and then we modify again and we modify again. And we're like, oh no, I'm still in this sentence. Yeah. Yeah. Would an example of that be, I'm um, telling someone something and I think I can read their mind yeah. instead of actually asking them, are you following along with me? Or does that make sense to you? I just freak out in my head and I keep going to make attempts at saying the same thing three times so that I ensure that the listener gets what I'm saying. And they don't misunderstand me. Oh yes. hundred percent. Oh, okay. Found out where I lie on this dance. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the thing that is tough about it is because it's sort of a responsive kind of thing, it's not something that any of us intend to do. We get into it and then we think, oh no, I just landed myself on the tightrope and there's no net now that I've said all these extra things. Mm -hmm. So we find ourselves in that place of vulnerability. Mm. I was reading too and preparing for this week because I was thinking, oh God, I'm going to be the worst one of everyone listening and in this group here of the subject. I was reading that over-explaining sometimes can be a trauma response to want to people please. Yeah, for sure. Sometimes I feel I will over-explain because I don't make any sense. So I want to ensure that mm. I'm my message is clear. And we've learned through a lot of episodes and through this podcast that <laughs> clarity is kindness in relationship, right? And so I get this like yeah. flustered sure. thinking I can read the listener's mind and then go, oh my gosh, no, I'm not clear. And I communication is so important to me. And it just is this never ending and Taylor's laughing at me now. <laughs> What's so interesting about that is you're no longer actually having the conversation with the other person. Yeah. You're having the conversation with your perception of the other person's perception. Oh, gosh. Yeah, and it's very frustrating. I get even more frustrated with myself knowing that. And then it becomes a bigger mess because you're like, well, how do I take this back? And like you said before, I love that you said, find your clarity in your message instead of looking for cleanup. Yeah. How can I really listen better so that my response doesn't require a cleanup in the middle of the response? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cleanups are tough. I was thinking that this is one of the things I do most and am very aware of, but am so annoyed that I do it. I was thinking, I didn't think you did it a lot. I thought you were more of an apologizer, but you've truly over the last decade of knowing you have grown in that so much. You don't nearly do it as much as you used to. You really have improved on that. I can attest to. Thank you. I have tried. Yeah, I think you've done amazing, but I know I do these qualifiers. I'm constantly digging myself into a hole of trying to show you something and then just saying like, oh, but here's why you shouldn't listen to me because I don't even believe myself or I'm putting in all these qualifiers that kind of undermine you. Don't you think, or wouldn't you agree? Well, the hedges. Oh, for sure. The biggest. Here, I'll give you some more on the list. I think I'm sure apparently as far as, although... So the hedge is when a speaker doesn't want to commit to their message. Those are all of those things. Mm -hmm. It's sort of like you have an idea and then you're about to give it and you think, "Mm, I'm going to sort of take some of it back in the saying of it. Mm. Is it a hedge? A lot of times what I'll do, (laughs) 
I feel like I'm doing it right now is ask it <laughs> as a question instead of um, stating it as a fact or opinion. You do that. Yeah. You kind of, you, your inflection goes up a little. Yeah. Yeah. I am constantly asking it as a question. Well, for sure, that's a way that we can take the steam out of our message. <laughs> so we make a statement that sort of sounds like a question. Is that is that how you mean that? Yeah, or I might actually just pose it as a, have you heard this? Or do you think this? Or I'll undermine it by saying like, oh, well, I'm not sure, but I heard this. Or this might be true. I'm not positive. I do a lot of that kind of thing. And it's very hard for me to just make a declarative statement. Because what if I was wrong? What if there's new information I'm not aware of? And so it's not accurate anymore. Oh, God, I feel Mm. that's a hard framework to even operate in because could you ever be certain about your message? No. And that's why it's exhausting. (laughs) And that's why I speak in question. (laughs) This is is time. We're tired. (laughs) We are tired. We all need a drink. (laughs) I feel like I'm more lean to hesitation, especially when you talked about repetition and retraction, which is the apologizing. Mm Mm-hmm. I'll say the same thing three times, attempting to say it three different ways because I'm having a conversation with myself the second and third time instead of actually (laughs) asking the person if I made any sense to them. Oh my gosh, that's so good. Come on, can you relate with this? I can picture you doing that. Having the conversation with yourself the second and third time. Yeah, I've been listening to myself this week, even with my clients or with my family or my friends and just talking and say it one time. And then I'm going to trust I'm in relationship with an adult and either ask and not assume that I made sense to them or leave it like that and not talk to myself two and three times. Mm -hmm. I guess what I'm saying is I feel a lack of confidence in speaking declarative statements because I'm afraid that the person I'm speaking to has different information than I do that's going to lessen my stance. So I tend to pose things as questions so that there's room for them to offer information without me being wrong. So I hear from you, Taylor, that you worry about the negative perception. Yeah, that's always a concern for me. People will do this over explaining or get lost in their message or do the the asking the questions instead of making statements or not fully committing the hedging more like you line to because you're worrying about the negative perception of yourself. Yes, always. That goes in my notes because I'm a good student into the strategy of collecting more data about yourself and understanding how to identify situations and topics that make you think that people are thinking negatively about you. What situation brought it out more for you? Yeah. Like unprepared. That's a big one for you. I think that's a big one for me. I really don't do super well unprepared. I can do things off the cuff at times. It's a big upper in anxiety for me. And that is more likely a situation where I'll say something I don't want to say or be afraid of doing that. Do you guys know what the cognitive model is? It's like a circle of outside events happen in your life. And then you have thinking or feeling one of each of those go to your behavior or let's say your communication message, like what you're saying out of your mouth. And so I've been learning that sometimes with these areas, this over explaining or just getting all flustered or not committing to the message, instead of pausing to think, what is this topic or situation? What's happening right now for me? Is Am I not prepared? Am I feeling really vulnerable? Am I feeling like uneducated about the subject that's making me do this? Pausing to think about that, I go directly into feeling, oh my gosh, they're going to think negatively of me mm-hmm. or they don't understand me or I don't make any sense. I feel 
stupid. So then I go do the two or three times and I repeat it again, or I apologize for my message. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. One thing that I'm thinking, one of the words that I used a bunch of times in the preview was hmm. the word worry. And I noticed today when I was thinking about the podcast, I thought, boy, you use the word worry a lot. And one of the things that you would hear if you sat in my college classroom is me talking about how sometimes we let emotions become decision makers and they're bad at making decisions. Emotions are terrible decision makers. They create tons of havoc. At some point, then you say, if I in the workplace allow worry to dictate some of my decisions, I actually picked a bad decision maker to make my career decisions. Mm. I'm worried I won't have a seat at the table. I'm worried you won't like me. I'm worried you won't promote me. Worry, worry, worry. And then I decide to act. And then you can hear this regretful dance that happens after that, which is I say something, then I qualify it, then I put it there, then I retract it back and do all these different things that some people do. And what started that chain of events is this problem of the emotion making the decision. I think you just did a really big reframing on this over-explaining for me. I would never do that. <laughs> and it's really wild that you're using that word because I was just talking to my therapist about this this week. I say too much and then I, I feel like I get frustrated with myself. I don't want to be like this. I don't need to stop it. And she was like, well, what are you worried about? I'm like, what do you mean? What am I worried about? <laughs> I need to stop doing this thing. I find myself just repeating a lot, that one. And she gave me a goal, which is don't go straight to feeling. Because when you go straight to feeling, you just react. You don't respond. You're reacting. Mm -hmm. So I'm having to stop and slow down and know what am I thinking in this area that's making me want to do that thing again. And then the second is to plan. Mm -hmm. I wrote do more planning versus cleaning up. Right. And you just said reactive. Mm -hmm. This is a reactive thing yeah. if it's not mm -hmm. strategic. They're, they're opposite ends of the spectrum. Yeah. I like the planning. I like thinking about what scenarios bring it out more for me. I can already think of a few that pop out as to like, oh, that's probably why I speak in questions around these certain people or this situation. What I wrote was do more planning, prepare to be bold. Mm. Mm. To be intentional about being bold, planning that ahead seems very scary to me. Like you can be bold. I would think it comes in the moment, but to actually plan that is frightening. Yeah. I wouldn't actually minimize that. I think I would say that's bold in and of itself. So good for you, Taylor. But I think in those moments where we choose that message and we're willing to let it sit there without filling the pause, without saying it over and over, without undercutting it or making it modified in some way, that's pretty bold. A lot of the topics we've discussed is to do more communicating, to have better understanding, um, ask more questions, mm -hmm. do perception checks. It's doing more. But with this, it seems like we kind of need to stop what we're doing. Or I would say, Taylor, do it ahead of time. Do the research ahead of time and then be bold. Hmm. Part of that is understanding when the right time is to ask for the promotion or for the raise. Let's use that as an example. Okay. To say to ourselves, let's do the research so that I don't question it when I ask for it. Hmm. Let's do the research of when it's approximately appropriate time, when it makes sense, when I've talked to my manager about getting ready for leading up to that question. And then when I ask it, it has a pathway already versus us feeling like we say it and it's this isolated thing that has no pathway. So I like the idea of the research that you're talking about and asking questions and all those things. I just like them earlier. What about in interpersonal communication when maybe you can't prepare as thoroughly as you'd like? 
Let's say you're someone who speaks with qualifiers or questions or overexplains. So then you get in a fight and you're with an interpersonal friendship and you catch yourself trying to explain your side or how you're feeling or whatever it is. And you're doing these things. So it's not something you prepped for, maybe like a business meeting or asking for a raise, but kind of in the moment. So you've collected data and you've tried to plan. But other than those two things, if you're in the moment, would you say slowing down? What do we do? Help us. That's a really great example and an interesting situation. And I would question whether you should continue the interaction. Mm -hmm. Good point. I would question whether that's going to be productive. You know, sometimes it's like out of body, like that one author said, where you're literally down a pathway that's so not working that you literally are almost out of body. How am I even in this conversation? What's happening right now? And you've said that before. If it's not productive, then don't continue it. Yeah, you can reschedule it. It doesn't mean that you can't have that conversation ever. Right. But I think that's really interesting data because what you're hearing is the voice of doubt speaking. Hmm and uncertainty. That's what I'm hearing. So the message changes from you giving your opinion to having the emotions, the worry, the fear, the doubt is now taken over the conversation. And like I said, they're not good decision makers. They're a bad team to be on. Right. What you would want to do probably is say, I need to have this conversation at a different time. If we did that with all of our fights, when they arise in the moment, if we hit pause and said, we should come back to this when you've had time to think, you'd probably have much more productive conversations. What if you're real bad at that? Because that sounds, (laughs) I want to deal with it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it depends on the topic and the people. I would not say that collectively we should all do that all the time. Yeah. I would say there are some people that would benefit more than others. Uh, That's what I was just thinking. I think a lot of this comes back to really knowing yourself and your thoughts. And it's really that number one strategy. So if the fight is a topic that makes you feel or situation makes you feel very vulnerable or think in a way that you, you know that sensation of the not committing to your message, hedging or hesitation in your communication is creeping in. Or for me, that like constant repetition or that wanting to apologize after I say something, if I am getting to know Mm -hmm. myself, then that may be a moment where you have to tell your partner or your friend or your person and your, if you're hopefully in good relationship with, I need for this to be better, more productive. And I'm in a place where it's not going to do that for me right now. Mm -hmm. Can we come back to this at such and such a time? It reminds me a little bit of shutdown mode, the episode five we did yeah, talking yeah. about the flooding. I don't know that it's quite flooding. It's sort of like word flooding. <laughs> Maybe it's a, the different kind of flooding is word flooding and I'm flooding with the words and I'm no longer able to have that productive conversation. And what we said in that episode was that we would schedule a time to come back. Mm-hmm. Right. But the other thing that we said, which was the advice of John Gottman was when you take the break, mm. don't ruminate or replay all the regret that's a associated with that first activity. Yeah, do something different. That gives us a model for handling word flooding, which is I maybe in some cases need to take a break and not think about it, change the activity, get more strategic and do some thinking and then go back and have that conversation. On an extension of that podcast, let's talk about word flooding in the same way as the person who is watching their partner be flooded. Mm. This is something we talked about on that episode. If you see your partner or your coworker starting to repeat themselves, starting to over explain, starting to 
apologize, try to clean up the mess that's becoming a bigger mess. One of the things that I think we need to talk about is this notion that we have some responsibility there to shut the conversation down too. It's just human kindness. When you see it, somebody falling off the rails in conversation, why would we continue that conversation? And I would place that responsibility certainly on bosses. If you see your subordinate having a struggle in this way, why are you still having the conversation? I would think you would offer assurances. You would offer a different place to talk. Maybe say something like, let's pick a time going forward to talk more about this. Letting them off the hook. Would you try to recap so that they feel heard? This is what I've heard you saying or reassure them in the sense of like, this is what I've understood. I like that. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. So we did the first episode where we talked about speaking up and not speaking up. And then we have this episode about over explaining and the takeaway together. If you think about the research we talked about in the episode just before this one, remember that bosses need to do more explaining. Mm -hmm. They need to explain why they don't adopt the ideas of the people on their teams. And you know what I thought with these two episodes? I thought this is interesting. So it's all mixed up. The boss is the one who needs to be doing the over explaining Mm. and the team member needs to do less explaining. And for some reason, we've got it mixed up. We're actually supporting the wrong behavior in the wrong person. Interesting. We have a person of power who actually needs to do more explaining. The research from Rice University suggests because they found out that that affects the coworkers when the boss just doesn't give answers and doesn't provide background and explain things to the team they find a lot of bad indicators happen where they feel less job security, less trust for the boss, less willingness to speak up in the future. The funny part is we're talking about over explaining, but we wouldn't want to forget that the boss is the one probably who needs more and we probably need less when we're not the boss. I like the idea or the visual that this is a dance because it seems very nuanced and lots of ebbing and flowing to it. Mm. Yeah. I think that's part of why it's a difficult topic, to be honest, because I don't think it's just explaining and then saying, oh, that didn't go well. I'm going to throw something else on top of that. I think it's because you say something and then immediately the situation changes because your boss nods or gives that look that you've seen before. And then you think, oh, well, I'll throw a new thing. And then that changes it again. And then you might maybe have some worry right there. So then you throw something else on top of it. The visual I keep thinking of is like, it's running away from you. I just see a snowball down a hill. Yeah. It's just getting bigger and bigger and bigger as it gets speed and goes faster down. Yeah. I know you talked earlier about being bold is highlighted for you. Mm-hmm. I want to look at the situations that bring this up more for me and then really question why that is. I think a big one is people in a position of power, obviously looking deep into why that is. Is it insecurity of not being educated enough or smart enough or prepared enough or researched enough? Diving deeper into all of those reasons where it shows up for me. And then I kind of want to get to my why. Well, that and understanding the commonality. Mm. Because when you understand the commonality, you understand the danger points that exist more for you. Is it around situations where you might not feel like? Mm -hmm. Or is it around situations where you might not feel good enough? Mm -hmm. I was going to ask the talk doc how this comes up for you. I feel like we've been talking about how horrible we are over here in the corner, but I want to know how this comes up for you negatively. (laughs) (laughs) Can't imagine that this happens often. Yeah. No, it does happen in some moments. I will feel unprepared even when I know the event is happening, but I haven't had the time to get it together or 
think through whatever the interaction is going to be. So that's a big one for me. And here's where I would say that I need to do more work. And that is I still get in that situation anyway, knowing that's my bad place. Once in a while, I just am not sure what I want about something. Here's the thing that I do though, is I haven't done the thinking, I haven't done the preparation, and I might still get in that situation. I'm walking into it knowing this is not gonna be good if you aren't prepared. The thing I hate is getting in the conversation where I don't know what I want and then trying to talk it through and discover what I want somehow with so many extra words. Yeah, That's not a way to find that out. And ultimately, when we do all this, it confuses the listener, right? Yeah. Oh, we actually end up just confusing them more. That part kills me. Yeah. And that, I think, is a really interesting kind of way to end this, to say, when we're talking about the message in its pure form, we're sending a message, and then we're sending all sorts of noise with it. We send certainty, but then we send equal doses of uncertainty with it. It's confusing. For the listener on the other side, that makes the first message harder to hear. They can't find it. So were you asking me for a raise or were you just apologizing for the amount of money you make? Yeah, that story. You felt like you were going to take away money from her. I just want want to be like, please stop. Stop. (laughs) Just put the words back in your mouth. Yeah. Part of why I found that story so interesting is I think that actually is not that far from the truth in moments sometimes. Yeah. Where we start talking and we think, oh my gosh, it's getting worse and worse. The snowball is gathering steam. The thing that I would say tends to be something that I could really improve is just not going into that situation in the first place and stopping it and saying, hey, I need this meeting to be tomorrow. I'm not ready to do it. It sounds like you feel the pauses and then you're needing to learn more about the thinking before the reacting to the feeling. And here's where it's bad. I'm trying to find the thinking in the over-explaining. Yeah. Well, and you keep talking and then you're like, it's like, is there a thought here? What do I think about this? If I say more, maybe I'll find it. Do you ever feel like your mouth is talking and your brain is thinking about something different than what you're saying when you're doing that? (laughs) Cause I do. Yeah. Maybe that's part of the out of body experience, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm, I am continuing to tell somebody something three times, but I am thinking about why am I doing this? Part of that is really lining up as you're kind of thinking about this to line up what you know about yourself Mm -hmm. with your best chances of success. So you can hear that misalignment in the example I just gave. Yeah. Why am I putting myself in that situation when I already know before I open my mouth, this is not a great place. It's not a good, my positive context. And sometimes I think we can help ourselves by thinking what would be the best chances for this bold claim to be adopted. Plan the context to be an advantage, not a disadvantage. As we seek to manage the dance of visibility, we can do ourselves a favor by doing less people-pleasing and more prior work before our interactions begin. And when we're in those interactions, we need to stop confusing our listeners with extra noises like added hedges or hesitations or apologies. The key is to strive for clarity instead of cleanup. Be bold and identify contexts where you and I can increase our success. And when you see someone word flooding, show them compassion. Help create a culture where we are kind to ourselves and kind to others because we promote clarity. Well, thank you for joining us today. And please remember to rate, share, and subscribe to our podcast. And thank you for listening to Asking for a Friend. Let us know what you thought of the episode. Our email is hello at afafpodcast.com. This show is for educational purposes only and is copyrighted. Written permission must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting. 
Thanks for listening to Asking for a Friend with Talk Talk.